good morning, everyone. Hey, I'm so thankful that you're here. Y'all need to know that Scott is jabbing you this morning. He didn't mean any of that stuff that he said about the Chiefs. He's a Broncos fan. So when he says, so when he says, when he says something happened that hasn't happened in 50 years, what he is saying so that I can interpret that for the rest of you is the Broncos have made the Super Bowl six times since the Chiefs made the Super Bowl. That's what he meant to say. I don't know what you heard. But Scott, I'm picking up what you're laying down. So go Chiefs. If you're in our video teaching service today, welcome. We're so glad that you're with us. If you're watching online, welcome. Remember, every time you sit in a video teaching service, one, you're on mission, allowing us to reach more people than we could reach if we just had one building. Um, And secondly, you're one week closer. All of us are one week closer to being in the building that we believe God is calling us to build. Uh, On Sunday, March 8th, just a couple weeks from now, two weeks from today, uh, we'll be doing a Difference Maker building update. So all of you who are praying for the building, all of you who have given for the building, all of you who are engaged in that building process and saying, okay, we had a big celebration at Christmas. What's next? We had an incredible January. We had an incredible February. As a matter of fact, every green light we needed to turn green for the building in those two months turn green. We're moving full speed on March 8th. I'll give you an update on everything else going on, but we are moving towards groundbreaking. We're really, really excited. And if you're in a video teaching service, thank you. Um, I look forward to being with you next week. And I look forward to our entire church being closer together soon, very, very, very soon. If you haven't already, turn in your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 18. That's where we're going to hang out in our Bible study time today. And if you haven't, reach inside your bulletin, pull out your notes so that you can follow along today or fire up that Journey Church International app so you can track with the teaching of today's message. And inside your bulletin, you're going to find this little card that says movement all month long in February. Because 2020 at Journey is a year of movement. We want people taking steps spiritually. Every Sunday in February, we've given you the opportunity, if you've not been baptized yet, by immersion, that means all the way into the water, since you committed your life to Jesus, we are doing that every Sunday in March, and we want you to sign up to be baptized. If you have not yet, you can fill out this card. You can drop it in the offering buckets when it goes by at the end of the service. It's a big deal for us that people who follow Jesus are baptized publicly by immersion. If you've not done it yet, it's your next step. Fill this out. Let us know. Every Sunday in March, we're going to baptize. We've never done that before in the history of our church, but we feel like we've got to help people take that step and make it easier for them to take that step. We're in week three of a series today on the life and the reign of King Hezekiah, the 13th king of the kingdom of Judah. And we are studying the life of Hezekiah, not because we want to learn about Hezekiah. We're studying the life of Hezekiah because we want to learn how to walk with God. You are at church today not to become experts on any Old Testament king. You're at church today because you want to become an expert at how you walk with God, how you become a better follower of Jesus. And if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, hopefully you're here today not to learn about a man named Hezekiah, but to learn about a man named Jesus who can change your life. You already heard Scott talk about him. You say, I I may not deserve forgiveness. I certainly haven't earned being connected to God. You don't have to because of Jesus. So we'll talk about him as we go through the message today, but we're looking at the life of Hezekiah to learn how to connect with the God of heaven. His life really helps us do that. We've been in this series for two weeks. Here's what we've learned in the first two weeks. Number one, we've learned that our spiritual howevers lead to spiritual hangups that deeply impact our spiritual epitaph. All the kings of Judah had one of four spiritual epitaphs. They did walk with God. They did not walk with God. They just did evil or they did walk with God however. They had this hang up in their life that really, really hurt them spiritually. We said you can't have howevers in your life. And Hezekiah did not have a however. Review point number two, because Hezekiah did not have a however, he faithfully walked with God 
because he had a deep connection to and commitment to scripture in his life. Many of you just in the past two weeks have made a renewed commitment or a first time commitment to begin to study the Bible because you like Hezekiah believe the promise of God in Joshua 1.8 that if you meditate on and you live your life according to the word of God that God will bless you and your life will be the way it's supposed to go spiritually. So we learned that in week one. Last week you met Pastor Chris, a great friend of mine who was in my youth ministry as a freshman who's getting ready to start a church in Atlanta and he talked to us about the importance of corporate worship, how engaging in worship with others is vitally important to my spiritual life. Being together on a day of the week where we worship, where we learn. Hezekiah on the first week of the first month opened up the temple and said, we have to make it possible for people to gather together. So we learned that that was important in Hezekiah's walk with God. But we've got two goals in today's message, and they still have to do with others. So you're going to see our Bible study title today is kind of the power of others. What happens when you have others in your life? It's, it's not just important to go to church with other people. It's important to do spiritual life with other people. So here are the two goals that we have today. Number one, we want to learn how to deepen our walk with God by deepening our walk with others. Pastor Brandon on week one of this series asked me in the Activate podcast, Pastor Christian, and I think he expected my answer to be read the Bible uh, because we were talking about how important it was to read the Bible. So he said, Pastor Christian, if there's one thing, if there's just one thing that every new Christian should do in order to really strengthen their walk with God, what is it? And I said, you got to come back in three weeks. Um, because yes, I believe every Christian should read the Bible. I believe every Christian should be strengthened by the Bible. I believe, like Paul told Timothy, the scriptures can make you wise for salvation. But if there's just one thing a new Christian needs to do to really deepen their walk with faith, they have to immediately engage in community who will help them. They have to learn how to walk with others. That's the, that's the first thing. Actually, before Jesus started teaching his disciples, he brought them together and said, we're a team. We're going to hang out together. We're going to learn together. So the first thing is to live in community with others. And then number two, I want to show you through the life of Hezekiah, three groups of others that all of us should have in our spiritual lives. He had three kind of distinct, unique groups of people or types of people speaking into his spiritual life that helped him become who God wanted him to become. So we're going to learn those things today. As we learn how to walk with God, we're going to look at the others we should be walking with to help our walk with God. Before we dig into scripture, we always ask God to open our hearts. So if you're here in our video teaching service, would you just bow your heads with me quickly? Would you take that deep breath we always try to take to just get our hearts ready to hear from God? And if you're a praying person, even if you're not, but you're willing to whisper a prayer, whisper this prayer to heaven. Just ask God to speak to you today. From your heart to heaven, just say, God, speak to me today. God, we ask that you would show us how to deepen our walk with you by deepening our connections to others in our spiritual lives. Show us the specific groups of people that we need in our life to be successful spiritually. That's our prayer today. We pray that you help us to see that. We ask it in Jesus' name and everyone said... Amen. So if you have your Bibles today, we're going to slowly walk through most of 2 Kings chapter 18, just a little bit at a time. As we do that, we're going to meet three groups of people that Hezekiah had in his life that helped him walk with God. And we're going to ask ourselves, do I have these people in my life? Do I have the same types of people in my life spiritually that Hezekiah had in his life spiritually? The first that we're going to meet, number one, is a generation who teaches. Hezekiah had in his life a generation of people before him who taught him how to live spiritually. Look at 2 Kings 18, verses 1 through 7. This is actually where we started this series. We're just going to look through a different angle, and we're going to learn about a different person. 
It says, in the third year of Hosea, son of Ella, the king of Israel. Remember, Israel had had a civil war. The northern half of the country was called Israel. Southern half was called Judah. This is Israel's king, Hosea, son of the king of, uh, son of Ella, king of Israel, Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, southern kingdom, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. His mother's name was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah. Circle Zechariah's name. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Just as his father David had done, he removed the high places. He smashed the sacred stones and cut down the Asherah poles. He broke into pieces the bronze snake Moses had made. For up to that time, the Israelites had been burning incense to it. It was called Nehushtan. Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. He held fast to the Lord and did not stop following him. He kept the commands the Lord had given Moses, and the Lord was with him. He was successful in whatever he undertook. Hezekiah had in his life a generation of people who taught him how to follow God. Meet Zechariah. Zechariah was his grandpa on his mom's side. But it's also very possible when you read through Scripture and connect generation to generation and name to name that Hezekiah's grandfather may have been one of the most influential spiritual leaders of his generation, Zechariah. You say the prophet, like he wrote a book, right? Nope, different guy. Different guy, different generation, the prophet Zechariah. But we meet this man named Zechariah, and we see a man by the same name who hung out with the kings of Israel in his generation. Hezekiah's mom was Abijah. Uh, Obviously, his mom would have been from the same generation that his dad, Ahaz, was. But his father, Jotham, only reigned 16 years. So Abijah probably would have been in the same generation of both her husband and her husband's dad, which meant her dad, older men in Israel, probably would have been alive in a contemporary during the reign of King Uzziah, of King Uzziah. You say, why is that important? Because Uzziah was a guy who walked with God for a little bit. Actually, we found out that he walked with God while he had a mentor in his life. And in 2 Chronicles chapter 26, we actually, we meet the name of one of his mentors. And here's what we read in 2 Chronicles 26 verses 3 through 5. Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king and he reigned in Jerusalem 52 years. His mother's name was Jecolia. She was from Jerusalem. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Watch this. Just as his father Amaziah had done, he sought God during the days of, what's the name there? Zechariah who instructed him in the fear of God. As long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. So we see a man, same name, same generation, hanging around the kings of Israel, and we think maybe maybe this is Hezekiah's grandpa. And if so, listen to what it shows us. For those of you who are grandparents, for those of you who are grandparents in here, for those of you who are grandparents watching online in our video teaching service, grandparents, your faith is really important. Because Hezekiah's dad did not love God. And some of you are in here today, um, and you are parents of young children, and probably your faith walk is not where you need to be, but your parents are going to make up for what you're missing. Grandma and grandpa are going to get it done. And some of you are in here, and your mom and dad don't love Jesus well, but your grandparents did. Grandparents, your faith is important. There are a lot of people in our church that are over the age of 55 who are worried about their grandkids under the age of 10 because their mom and dad, who are 30 and 40, have gotten caught up in the culture of America. And they're wondering, man, are our kids going to raise our grandkids to love Jesus like we really think they should? Grandma, grandpa, as long as you're engaged, they got a chance. As long as you're engaged, they got a chance. Zechariah shows us that generations ahead can have tremendous influence on people two or three generations behind. Hezekiah 
had an older voice speaking into his life who probably helped him really set the table for how he would follow God spiritually. Let me speak now, not to grandparents, but to all of you. Do you have somebody in your life, your parents' age or older, who is speaking into you spiritually, who you trust spiritually, that you meet with once a month, that you buy coffee for once a quarter, that you just say, hey, here's what's going on in my life. Help me understand all the things I don't see or know yet because I have not been where you have been. Let me ask you, older generation, those of you who are over the age of 50, have you found someone in their 30s yet to put your arm around and say, hey, let me, let me hang out with you once a month um, and just get to know you and love you and get to know your kids? And let, see, the church works best in intergenerational ministry. When a generation ahead drops down into the generation that they always criticize, probably for good reason, <laughs> probably, and instead of saying, you know what, I walked to school uphill both ways in six inches of snow with, you know, in bare feet and could buy a Snickers for a dime. Okay, we're like, we're glad you did that. And we wish we could still get a Snickers for a dime. <laughs> but instead of just criticizing, what if you would take a younger generation under your wing and just say, hey, let me, man, let me just get to know you. Hezekiah had a generation who taught him. And in walking with God, I think it's really, really crucial because things in Judah had changed. Culture was changing in Judah and kings were grabbing on to new culture instead of old truth. And then Hezekiah steps back a generation and says, just help me understand the way it used to be. Listen, as you walk with God, be careful accepting truth that's less than a generation old. Because truth is proven over generations, not just in new ideas, creative books, great speakers, good blogs. Be careful. Be careful accepting new truth this less than a generation old. That was the advice that one of the wisest Jewish rabbis in the New Testament gave the Jewish people about the Christian church, actually. So this is new truth. We're not gonna know whether or not it's really real, though, until it passes a few generations. Remember in Acts chapter four, Peter and John had been arrested. They were trying to figure out, do we kill him like we killed Jesus? Do we not kill him? And then Gamaliel, a very wise rabbi, stood up and he said, listen, we can't kill him. Acts chapter five, um, Truth is going to be proven over generations, so just let him run. Look, look at what he said in Acts chapter 5. A Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin, and he ordered that the men, Peter and John, be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed the Sanhedrin, men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Thutis appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, and all his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census. He led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it's gonna fail. But if it's from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. He said, listen, sometimes it takes a generation or two for truth to prove itself correct. So you just, just let it go. Let it go, speak humbly, speak softly, and just sit back and watch. There are some secondary issues of theology that have been written nowhere in the history of the church till the last hundred years or so. Be careful. Be humble. Go slow. There are some new issues in culture in the last 25 years that have not been written about anywhere in the last 2,000 years of the world. And just in case you wonder, the world used to be worse than it is now. It's not getting worse. It used to be worse. Go study the, Roman, the, the history of Roman civilization and we don't see truth twisting or changing. Be careful. Be careful as new truth raises up and says, now this is the way Christianity should be lived. Be careful. I'm studying this year one of, one of my favorite study Bibles that I've ever had. It's called the Ancient Faith 
study Bible. I get a new study Bible. I read the Bible through every year, but I always read a new study Bible. And this one has the notes of the church fathers, men who started writing in about 160 AD all the way up to 1500. It literally is the first thoughts on Christianity from the first generations of Christian who existed outside the Bible. I want to know what people have been saying about Jesus for 2,000 years. So every day I read, I think, okay, what did they see in this text 1,800 years ago? What did they see in this text in a Roman culture and civilization that had gone mad? How did the early church translate this text? And everything I read, I want to know that it hasn't changed in 1,800 years, 1,900 years, 2,000 years. Hezekiah saw culture changing, and he saw some of the kings of Israel saying, let's follow culture rather than God. But he went back a generation and very possibly asked his grandpa, tell me how it was done when it was done well. Tell me what God would want me to do based on the timeless truth of God. Really, really good for all of us to have somebody a generation ahead of us speaking into us. Hezekiah leaned on the generations that were before him, and it really strengthened his walk with God. He also, number two, had friends who tear their clothes. You say, I have friends that wear clothes with tears in them. That's, that's, not what I, that's not what I mean. Long before everyone like had holes in everything, Hezekiah had friends who tore their clothes. You say, what does that mean? Look at verse 17 of 2 Kings chapter 18. King of Assyria was marching against Israel. Uh, he decided that he was gonna conquer Jerusalem. We're gonna read for a while, so take a deep breath and get your glasses on if you need those. We're gonna read about 20 verses. Watch what happened and who Hezekiah had in his life. The king of Assyria sent his supreme commander, verse 17, his chief officer, and his field commander with a large army from Lachish to King Hezekiah at Jerusalem. They came up to Jerusalem and stopped at the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the washerman's field. They called for the king. He didn't come. Instead, he sent his friends, Eliakim, son of Hilkiah, the palace administrator, Shebna, the secretary, Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder. They went out to him. Then the field commander said to them, tell Hezekiah, this is what the great king, the king of Assyria says. On what are you basing this confidence of yours? You say that you have counsel and might for war, but you speak only empty words. On whom are you depending that you rebel against me? Look, I know you're depending on Egypt, that splintered reed of a staff which pierces the hand of anyone who leans on it, such as Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all who depend on him. But if you say to me, we're depending on the Lord our God, isn't he the one whose high places and altars Hezekiah removed, saying to Judah and Jerusalem, you must worship before this altar in Jerusalem. Come now. Make a bargain with my master, the king of Assyria. I'll give you 2,000 horses if you can even put riders on them. How can you repulse one officer of the least of my master's officials, even though you are depending on Egypt for chariots and horsemen? Furthermore, have I come to attack and destroy this place without word from the Lord? The Lord himself told me to march against you and destroy you. Then Eliakim, son of Hilkiah, Shebna, and Joad said to the field commander, please speak to your servants in Aramaic since we understand it. Don't speak to us in Hebrew in the hearing of the people on the wall. They basically said, we know the governmental language. Speak in that one. You're scaring the people. Don't speak in Hebrew. You're scaring the people. Verse 27, the commander replied, was it only to you that my master and you that, was it only to your master and you that my master sent me to say these things and not to the people sitting on the wall who like you will have to eat their own excrement and drink their own urine? That's trash talk 3,000 years ago. That's like, it's kind of disgusting, dude. Like, can't you, like, is there not a better thing to scare people? It's like, whatever. Verse 28, um, then the commander stood and called out in Hebrew, hear the word of the great king, the king of Assyria. This is what the king says. Don't let Hezekiah deceive you. 
He cannot deliver you from my hand. Don't let Hezekiah persuade you to trust in the Lord. When he said, the Lord will surely deliver us, this city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah. This is what the king of Assyria says. Make peace with me. Come out to me. Then each of you will eat fruit from your own vine and fig tree and drink water from your own cistern until I come and take you to a land like your own, a land of grain and new wine, a land of bread and vineyards, a land of olive trees and honey. Choose life and not death. Do not listen to Hezekiah. For he's misleading you when he says the Lord's gonna deliver us. Has the God of any nation ever delivered his land from the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of Seraphim, Hinnon, Eva? Have they rescued Samaria from my hand? Who of all the gods of these countries has been able to save his land from me? How then can the Lord deliver Jerusalem from my hand? But the people remained silent and said nothing in reply because the king had commanded, do not answer him. Then Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, the palace administrator, Shebna, the secretary, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder, went to Hezekiah with their clothes torn, underline that, and told him what the field commander had said, with their clothes torn. Having your clothes torn was an Old Testament sign that your heart had been ripped into. That's what it was. When you saw someone whose clothes were torn, you knew at that moment in life they had a broken heart. I don't wish we still practiced this, but I think I would be a better pastor if those of you today who really had broken hearts somehow gave me a visible sign of that. Instead of saying, I'm good. It's okay. How you doing? Good. See, in the Old Testament, when your heart was broken, you would, you would rip your clothes, and it would symbolize to people that your heart had been ripped in two. And Hezekiah's friends, watch this. Hezekiah's friends heard a message that they knew was going to tear their friend's heart in two. And before they even got back to him, their heart was broken because they knew his heart was going to be broken. Don't you wish you had friends like that? Hezekiah's friends, their hearts were broken for him before he even knew enough to have his own heart broken. He hadn't heard the message yet, but he knew when his friends walked in the room to give it to him, I'm not sure what I'm going to hear, but I know they're with me. I know they're with me. Their hearts are broken for me and with me. Folks, I don't know about you, but I, I don't want friends like that. I need friends like that. At breakfast yesterday with a group of small group coaches, and one of them uh, lives across the street from someone who had a medical emergency in their home. He does, brand new neighbors that just moved into subdivision. He doesn't even really know their names yet, but as he talked about watching this medical emergency unfold, he started crying for them. And I thought, this is it. This, this, is, this is what it looks like to have somebody who will tear their clothes for you. Not his emergency, not his friends. He doesn't even know their names, but he's crying because they're hurting. Man, I need people like that in my life. Do you have friends who will tear their clothes? Back up, better question. Are you a friend who will tear your clothes when one of your friends is hurting? Because you gotta be one to have one. You gotta be one to have one. And here's the deal. If you're not going to pursue spiritual community, you cannot have real spiritual friendships. Like that's the sad, hard reality of church life, Christian friends, spiritual friends. If you don't pursue them, you won't have them. And watch this. If you do pursue them, you might get hurt. That's kind of the, 
that's kind of the catch-22 of Christian friendships. In Proverbs 18, 24, the, Solomon says it real clear, a man who has friends, well, they, they gotta be friendly. Right, so I gotta, I gotta pursue Christian community to have Christian community, but what if I pursue it and it bites me? What if I pursue it and it lets me down? What if I wait for the knock on the door because my clothes are torn, my heart is ripped in two, and no one else shows up? What do I, what do, I do then? We, without, without trying to, kind of threw a rattlesnake into the middle of small groups this year because we came up with, as a leadership team, a, like a little prayer card, spiritual growth card for people because we wanted to be so focused on spiritual movement this year. And our church just kind of repelled from it. It's like, whoa, 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 I'm not telling you that. And I heard from leaders all over why maybe that happened. And then I was in an elders meeting with one of our elders and Jim Nisley, who's one of our elders, spoke up because a similar thing happened in his group. And he said, no, nah. he said, Pastor Christian, here's the only thing going on. He said, people have been hurt by their Christian friends and they're just really slow to trust now. People have been hurt by their Christian friends, so they're just... Um, They're just really slow to trust now. I get it. But I know this. If you try a hundred times and fail 99, the day that one friend shows up on your doorstep with their clothes torn for you, it's worth it. It's worth it on that day. To have friends who will tear their clothes when your heart is ripped in two. As the prophet Garth Brooks said, I could have missed the pain, but I'd have had to miss. The dance like you know you know like right like like that's i've heard of that prophet he's not a prophet he writes country music and and here's here's where the writer of proverbs gets us to in the second half of proverbs 18 24 he says this there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother and he's talking about jesus here he's talking about jesus so here's what christians have to learn how to do we have to learn to trust jesus enough to love people and pursue community People will let you down. Make me your friend. I will let you down. Hey, get married to someone. They will let you down. Call someone mom and dad. They will let you down. But there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. His name is Jesus. And if you will trust Jesus enough to love people and pursue community on the day when your heart is broken, you're gonna have some friends show up with their clothes torn. They're gonna sit with you. And it it might not make it easier, but it'll make it better. Hezekiah had friends who were willing to tear their clothes, and that was a game changer for him. And then number three, he had a leader that he was willing to trust. It's actually hard to preach from, from my seat uh, because I, I am one of the spiritual leaders of our church, but it's just kind of always the way that people who have walked with God have walked well with God. Hezekiah's friends show up, their, toes are, their, their, their clothes are torn, they give him the message. He tears his own clothes. Visible sign. Holy cow, my heart is broken. I don't know what we're going to do. And then he says this in 2 Kings chapter 19, verses 1 and 2. When King Hezekiah heard the message, he tore his own clothes. Then he put on sackcloth and went into the temple of the Lord. He sent Eliakim, the palace administrator, Shebna, the secretary, and the leading priest, all wearing sackcloth, to the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, the guy who wrote the book of Isaiah. He immediately went to his spiritual leader when things went bad and said, I need your advice, I need your help, I need your direction. What do I do? What do I do? Hezekiah trusted in the spiritual leadership that God had put around him. What do I do? In those days, God spoke through prophets, not mainly just through scripture. 
So he went to this prophet. He said, what do I do? What am I supposed to do? I need your help. I need your direction. I need your prayer. I don't know if you know this, but this is still the way God designs it to work. That he gives people spiritual leaders who help them know God, find transformation, discover their purpose, and then go make a difference. God said, here's going to be my plan in the church. I'm going, to, I'm going to give the church spiritual leaders so those spiritual leaders can help people find spiritual life and make a spiritual difference. You say, where is that? Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. Paul said to the church in Ephesus, here's how God's doing. Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers, the leaders. Why? To equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith. Until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become more mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves. Spiritual leaders are gonna help us grow up. We won't be blown here and there by every wind of teaching, new stuff, new generations that 2,000 years of Christianity have been written and now all of a sudden some new thing's been found no one's ever heard about before. No, 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 we don't do that. And by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming, instead speaking the truth in love, will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. As we look at what we learn about how God uses leaders in the church, what we learn is that God gave the people, the church spiritual leaders for five very specific reasons. Here they are. Number one, God gave the church spiritual leaders to help people learn and accomplish their purpose. He gave leaders to equip people to fulfill their purpose. Number two, he gave spiritual leaders to unify diverse Christians into an on-mission movement. I feel called the men. I feel called the women. I feel called the teens. I feel called the children. I feel called to the hurting in the community. I feel called to global missions. Let's take all those people and all those diverse callings and let's push them together into an on-mission movement. He gave leaders to the church, number three, to help the church become more like Jesus because as they live their life, they'll become more like the person that God wants them to be. He gave leaders to the church, number four, to teach the church to grow, to teach the church to become more stable, to have a firm foundation. And number five, he gave leaders to the church to effectively grow the kingdom of God because Jesus taught us to pray that the kingdom of God would come on earth as it is in heaven. So Jesus says, I'm going to answer that prayer by giving the church spiritual leaders who will help the people become all that God has called them to become, to help the people become who who I want them to become. God said, I'm going to use leaders, just like I did with Isaiah and Hezekiah. I'm going to use spiritual leaders to help people grow. Now listen, I'm not sure if there is a fountain of youth. If there is, Tom Cruise and his plastic surgeon have found it because I have, um, I, I, saw a, a, uh, I saw a preview the other day for Top Gun 2. Have, you ever, like, have, have any of you seen the preview for Top Gun 2? And like Maverick hasn't aged like a day. Um, the Iceman has aged. Goose is still dead. Maverick is still living in 1991. And as I saw the preview of that movie, I thought there's no way the soundtrack for Top Gun 2 can be as good as the soundtrack for Top Gun number one because when Kenny Loggins starts singing Highway to the Danger Zone, you just want to go up in the air and, and like fight some people. But I believe, you say, what does this have to do with anything? It's <laughs> a good question. I believe it's possible that the Christian church in 2020 is on a highway to the danger zone. I believe spiritually the Christian church in the year 2020 is on the highway to the danger zone because there's a few areas 
where we are considering going wrong. One, we think we're the first generation that has finally figured out everything that nobody has figured out before us. I'm reading every day the writings of men, church fathers, who literally gave their life to protect the truth of the gospel. And we now have new writers and bloggers and speakers who think they have figured something out that for 2,000 years nobody in the church has figured out. That's dangerous. We think, number two, that we live in such an independent and disconnected generation that we can't have deep relationships. One, I don't have time. Two, I don't know that they're safe. I agree with both of those things. But I don't, I don't base my walk with God on what's good for me. I base my walk with God on what God says is good for me. And he says community is needed because there's gonna be a day when my heart is ripped in two and I need to have some friends show up with their clothes torn. So I don't base my connection to spiritual community on how busy I am or how much I've been let down. I base it on how much I'm gonna need it one day and I lean in. And then number three, when we reject spiritual authority over our lives in any way, pick and choose the voice who basically agrees with us the most, that's, that is the highway to the danger zone spiritually. And if anyone should have been on that highway, should have been Hezekiah. His dad was a wicked dude. His dad's high priest built the altar of the Assyrian God, moved the altar in the temple and started sacrificing on new. If anyone should have said, I don't trust spiritual leaders. I will not engage in spiritual community. I'm never gonna listen to anyone older than me. It should have been Hezekiah. He had every reason in the world, more than us. But instead he walked with God and his life looked different. How did he walk with God? Number one, he learned from older generations. Are you? Grandma and grandpa, your faith is so important. We need you. Lean in. Those of you who are 55 and older in our church, we need you. We get that you've put in all of your time the last 35 years building what is today's church. Thank you, but we still need you. Every 20 and 30-year-old greeter, every 40-year-old usher, every 30 and 40-year-old small group leader needs someone 55 to 75 or older in their life saying, how can I help with the life experience that I have? We need you. Has a guy had that? Number two, he had friends whose hearts were tied to his. When his heart was ripped, their clothes were torn. Number three, he allowed spiritual leaders to speak into his life. What do I do? How do I do it? Will you pray for me? Will you direct me? Help me understand. I believe if we will have a faith like Hezekiah's, we can walk with God like Hezekiah. And I believe if we walk with God like Hezekiah, we will accomplish things and have impact for God, just like Hezekiah. We'll learn more about that next week. But today is all about, will you, will you choose mentorship? Will you choose community? Will you choose spiritual authority? Because if you will, like Hezekiah, it will allow you to walk with God and become who God created you to be. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, our hearts are open, our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, but our hearts are open. And God, we ask you to speak to us this morning. I pray that we all heard something from you. God, I really do believe the goal of most people at our church today is to become people that walk with you. I think that's why we're here. So God, I pray that you might bring somebody from an older generation into our lives to teach us to help us slow down enough to listen. God, I pray you might give us friends that will tear their clothes for us.
Friends whose hearts will break when ours breaks. God, I pray you'll give us spiritual leaders that we will choose to trust, not because they're perfect, but because those who walk with you need a spiritual leader to help them become who you created them to be according to Ephesians 4. That's how you do it. And God, more than anything, help us to trust Jesus enough to love others and pursue community and let our walk with others strengthen our walk with you. If you're here today and you do not know Jesus personally, if you're here today and you've not asked him to forgive your past, if you're here today and everyone in life has let you down, but you've heard today there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother who will never let you down, open your heart and say yes to Jesus. Maybe it's why God brought you here today. All you have to do is in the stillness of your heart, whisper a prayer from your heart to the God of heaven who's listening. You can pray something like this. You don't have to pray it out loud. God, I need a friend who sticks closer than a brother. I need your forgiveness. I need your love. I need your help today. I repent of what I've done wrong. I want to turn and follow you. I need forgiveness of my sins. I need Jesus as a friend. I will choose to trust him as a spiritual leader. Today by faith, I say yes to Jesus. If God brought you here today so that you could connect to a friend who sticks closer than a brother, you've just opened your heart and done that. We want to celebrate you. We want to help you. At the end of this service, when you leave, stop by our Next Steps area. Introduce yourself. Tell them I prayed with Pastor Christian. If you came with somebody who's with you today, tell them I prayed with Pastor Christian today. I made Jesus my friend and my leader. We'd love to help you in your spiritual walk as you move forward. God, for the rest of us, give us others who will help us walk with Jesus. We love you. And God, we ask these things today in Jesus' name. And everyone said together, amen.